0: Hi, I'm Jason Pritchard and welcome to the EVTOR Insights podcast, a brilliant show featuring guests from companies in the EVTOR aircraft and urban air mobility markets. Throughout each episode, we'll be finding out about their exciting projects, which will help revolutionise the way we travel in future and get their insights into the current state of the industry. In this episode I'm joined by Richard Hakes, the new chair of Reed Smith's Global Transportation Industry Group. Reed Smith is an international law firm dedicated to helping clients move their businesses forward. Its transportation practice covers the full spectrum of legal needs for transportation companies as well as providing insights and industry-focused reports on trends and predictions to support its clients. The firm recently launched Global Air Freight's Future, The Sky's the Limit, a report that analyses the changing industry landscape following two turbulent years and offers insights into what challenges and opportunities air freight companies can expect in 2022 and beyond. It also includes a section about EVTOL aircraft and the advanced air mobility market. Hakes advises clients in relation to a broad range of aviation and shipping work. As well as acting for a number of investors, operating lessors and lenders across the aviation and shipping markets, he is best known for his work for private equity and investment fund clients, having been particularly active and won multiple awards in the secondary debt trading and special situations sectors. Hakes previously co-chaired the firm's growing aviation practice, which is a key area of focus for Reed Smith. He was instrumental in its growth and success, supporting a number of strategic partner hires and winning some of the largest private equity mandates in the aviation market over the last two years. Richard, thank you so much for joining us on the toll Insights podcast.
1: Thank you for having me on the podcast. I've been a an avid listener for a while now. So I'm really excited
0: to be here. Thank you for your kind words. So we've talked a little bit about Reed Smith in the introduction just then, but are you able to tell us a bit more about your role at Reed Smith? And in particular, if possible, where it fits into the emergence sort of EVTOL aircraft, advanced demobility, this new age of, of aviation, so to speak?
1: Thanks, Jason. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of what I do, as you say, my particular role is I chair what we call our transportation industry group. So that's a group across the Three continents. It's about 150 lawyers. And uh, it's one of our five industry groups that we center our firm and our client offering around. So, broadly speaking, our industry groups are supposed to be our centers of excellence that not only provide the industry expertise, but that also feed into other parts of our practice. So, I mention that because my sort of day to day job is I'm a transactional aviation lawyer. But what our industry groups mean is that we're set up in such a way that we will also be tracking for uh, and helping clients in the transportation industry more broadly with their work. So traditionally, for example, if an airline needed intellectual property advice or employment law advice uh, or, or what have you, they would also come to us and we would then link them up with the right folk elsewhere in the business. So in that sense, we're sort of also the gatekeepers or points of contact for our clients, whatever their needs and that means we see a really wide cross-section of what's going on in the industry at large. As I say, by background, I'm, I'm an aviation lawyer, really. And in my formative years, that sort of meant working on anything for, for large commercial aircraft. I came on board at Reed Smith in 2017. And as part of trying to look at the future of aviation more broadly, um, Reed Smith had previously put out a paper on the opportunities and challenges in the drone space and our involvement has really snowballed from there whether it's been advising regulators uh, formally and informally in the US and Europe you know we've been working with private operators with investors entrepreneurs and and so on and i'd say the last 3 years or so a lot of that sort of aam work has really been in the ev toll space rather than in the drone space since Since I suppose sort of 2018, 19, this market's just really taken off in terms of volume and complexity. And so that's where we've been spending a lot of our time, whether that's formulating purchase agreements to order a eVTOL aircraft, whether that's arranging for the sale of shares in companies to facilitate investments, uh, SPAC financings through to stuff that's maybe a bit more tangible. So working with regulators, looking at safety or licensing aspects, uh, how that might influence design approvals, type certification. Currently, working with an entrepreneur to protect his IP in certain EV toll components. We've been working with a significant uh, European multinational, looking at how it can develop its infrastructure around uh, EV toll operations. So, all in all, a pretty broad church within the parameters of aviation, but with uh, an ever increasing focus on the, the, the many different facets of the EV toll market.
0: You mentioned about the aviation and COVID-19 has had a huge impact on sectors across the world, but it does seem that aviation was one that was hit the hardest. I don't know whether you're able to just tell a little bit to our audience about, sort of more about this impact uh, and, and sort of kind of leading us on to, to the report, which we'll talk about a bit later on as well.
1: Great question. Uh, where to start? You know, clearly the impact's been significant, uh, both because of the legal and not always globally consistent travel restrictions imposed by governments but uh, also because of the drop in demand amongst the traveling public. you know, Even when we could fly, not all of us have chosen to. In turn, obviously that means flights have been canceled or have flown half empty, and that's led to hugely reduced revenues for airlines and as a consequence to bankruptcies. So the, the first thing I think I've got to underline about the impact is that nothing is greater than the very real human cost. In, in terms of the recovery, I think it's generally accepted that the best case scenario is it's going to be mid to late this year before we get back to sort of pre-COVID demand levels. And there are some more pessimistic estimates that that stretch that out further. I guess I'm I'm inherently an optimist. So I'm not going to give you a date like Q3 2022 or something along those lines because I'm not sure that's really going to be helpful. Uh, I think one of the most important things to remember about the impact is it's been highly sectoral and, and, and highly regional. So I could, in a different forum, get into the economics and, and passenger numbers and, and all of that data in more detail. You know, when I talk about the impact being sectoral, even within geographic regions, different aircraft types and sizes have been affected in, in different ways. Uh, but I'm conscious that, that, that your audience wants to know what it means for EV tolls. And I think in terms of the impact here, it's it's clear that post-COVID, the role of logistics in in e-commerce and and in software enabled retail is of ever increasing importance you know that sort of final mile delivery is now really seen as an essential service almost more than a luxury and i think in many markets online shopping just uh, enjoyed a an unprecedented and really significant growth because of covid because of lockdowns because of travel restrictions and i think the other point i just mentioned is that obviously Pre-COVID, things were going pretty well. Uh, you know, you had uh, early 2020, you had the big Toyota investment in Joby, you had the big Ehang IPO valuation. But, uh, you, you know, as an industry, we might be working on what by all accounts is pretty revolutionary technology, but you know, we still have kids to homeschool or problems with our Wi-Fi or whatever. So all of the inefficiencies of remotely working, it would be kind of naive to think that toll development could get by unscathed you know, entrepreneurial development and engineering and what have you by their nature, pretty collaborative. And you often find that tech industries really thrive on those kind of collaborative co-locations to drive innovation. So that has been a big miss. I think even Uber Air came out and said this, right? They said it had hampered their R&D and you know, of course, there's been the wider supply chain disruptions and travel disruptions. That's all hampered market developments, probably hampered fundraising as well. And so in just the same way that I spoke about commercial aviation not suffering in a uniform way, nor will those of us in the eVTOL space. You know, WISC got back to testing pretty quickly, I believe. Bell were keen to make a point that the, the Nexus program hadn't been too disrupted, But I suspect that those like Joby and Volocopter and uh, And probably Lilium, who'd accomplished significant fundraising pre-pandemic, they may find that in the interim, they've had a a good opportunity to pull away from some of the competition. The participants in this space are still super uh, entrepreneurial. So even the bigger players have a lot of flexibility and a really nimble mindset, and that goes a long way. So if you look at the uh, CORA trials, I think WISC moved its employees to working on documentation uh, you know, the idea being that it will save time during the certification stage later on, I think Joby may have done something similar. And you also had a real sense of, you know, more than merely proof of concept, you know, you had the Ehang, uh, eVTOL actually transporting medical supplies to hospitals in, in China. So I'm reluctant to start saying that COVID has been good, I suppose, on, it, on any metric, but it's clear that there have been continued billions of dollars of investment into the eVTOL industry. And And so I think the trajectory that we have enjoyed has been as strong as we could have hoped.
0: Do you think that has changed people's attitudes about flying? Um, I know we're starting to see industry events happening for us, which is great, and travel restrictions being lifted. But now that COVID-19 essentially is probably going to be here to stay for a long while still, has attitudes, do you think, changed for people in terms of flying from one place to another?
1: Such an interesting question. And... You know, what? everyone I talk to tends to answer this based on how they think their attitudes or those of their immediate peer group have changed. I think if you look at it objectively, the changing attitudes to flight are about so much more than COVID. They're probably also a product of technology, of how people want to work, of when people want to work. They're probably also a feature as well of the wider green agenda and a, what what I think I would call a a sense of growing individual responsibility around that. COVID has definitely had an impact, right? I mean, one of the sectoral impacts I spoke about earlier is business travel versus leisure travel. And we've seen a lot of companies and executives, particularly those that would sit historically at the front of the aircraft, rethinking their approach to business travel. And so actually leisure has become one of the biggest growth segments in, in the world of commercial aviation, because of course we all still want to take our vacations that's not even necessarily a barometer of wealth anymore. When we look at it more globally, even in economies that are still emerging, there are many people who certainly wouldn't be categorized as as rich globally, however you might define that, but they would still view travel as one of the most important uses of their disposable income. So to answer your question, have people's attitudes changed? I think hopefully the fears of lockdowns and in particular of travel restrictions are subsiding a bit for all of us now. I think one of the really profound things that we've also noticed from talking to our clients is that there is a lot less elasticity around their customer base. You know, it's not just enough to offer low fares, people have wider concerns now. And so I think it's right to recognize that there has been a shift in attitudes, but I'm not necessarily sure that that means there'll be less flying, but rather that Aviation is going to need to reconfigure itself to keep step with those changing demands. And to my mind, part of that reconfiguration is really interesting for the eVTOL industry. You know, if you accept that flying will shift more to the leisure market, then it becomes a really experiential product. And so you have to look in that context at the whole flight ecosystem. So I think it shouldn't come as a surprise that the idea the idea that it's most simple of an air taxi, right, has, you know, that's, that's really been welcomed by the airlines. EVTOLs are not, in that context, an airline competitor. And that's probably why even as aviation tries to recover, you've got the major airlines investing in EVTOLs, placing orders, you know, vertical with American, Japan Airlines and Virgin Atlantic. I think you've got Archer with United. You know, really the race is on for these manufacturers to run the test flights, get the approvals, consummate the deals because the demand is there. And when you get into it, what could be more COVID-secure than your own EV toll that takes you quickly and safely to and from the airport? So really, it's about loosening the grip, I think, of other forms of transport, whether that's taxis or or trains or what have you. But, you know, again, if it's a leisure marketplace, it's also about enhancing the customer experience as well. And I think there's a growing recognition that if it's faster and safer and better, then the travelling public will will pay a premium for it as well.
0: Brilliant. Really good insights there, Richard. Thank you ever so much for that. And leads me on to our other question we had as well. And that's really about the brilliant report that we mentioned at the start. So Global Air Freight's Future, The Sky's the Limit. Are you able to tell our audience a bit more about the background to writing this uh, and just to tell them a bit more about it if they haven't already seen it or read it as well?
1: Thank you, Jason. Yeah, that's that's a really kind accolade as well for the team who've, who've laboured over this. For anyone who hasn't read a, a copy of the report, you're welcome to download one. Just just Google Reed Smith, RWD Smith and, and Air Freight, and it will take you straight to the paper. I think it stretches to almost 100 pages, so I'm not expecting anyone to read it cover to cover uh, necessarily, but it's quite wide ranging, the air freight space, and um, you know looks at everything from Financing passenger to freight conversions through regulatory concerns, environmental challenges, Um, as you mentioned kindly at the beginning, some of my work on uh, EV tolls. And probably the good news I can give the readers is that they're going to find maybe one chapter maximum that gets into the really heavy legal detail. Uh, You know, the rest is is very much our sort of more commercial explanation for the reader, backed up by our uh, legal knowledge that sits behind that. and and makes for what we hope is an interesting and and informative, but also an accessible read. The background of the report is really simple. We wanted to give back to our clients, but also to give back to the wider aviation community. So we put the report out there in the knowledge that some of our competitors might even download it. And to be honest, in the hope that they do, you know, our ultimate ethos, and particularly when you get into emergent sectors like EV tolls, our ethos is really it's much healthier and uh, more productive to collaborate than it is to compete.
0: Thanks ever so much for that, Richard. And in your final report, you mentioned some key takeaways. I don't know whether you're able to share your maybe top two, three that you found really interesting and and why? Sure.
1: Yeah. I I try really hard to look at aviation in its wider context and and place in the world. And so against that backdrop, I think I'm most excited about the growth of e-commerce and the increasing use of advanced air mobility by logistics companies and in conjunction with those two topics the growing importance at all levels environmental issues and you know i choose those three as i just really see them as all very interlinked and it's part of why we feel at reed smith so positive about the aam market and about the ev toll sector in particular When I first started writing and and, and talking about EV tolls, I think there was a real skepticism amongst clients and and, and colleagues that this was a really sort of scalable and, and bankable sector that was going to offer a meaningful benefit. But you know, here's the thing: we now know that there's about $8 billion of capital that have flowed into the development of EV tolls over the last five years. You've got a cargo market that is expected to reach close to $60 billion in the next 15 years. So it's an area where there is a real upward trajectory, a real need for expertise and and a real need for people to get involved. And so we feel very good about it from this perspective. We think it's going to be a technology that's in demand, but also AAM as a whole, more broadly dovetails really well with the, the hot topic of environmental and social governance. So we see it as a new form of transport that's going to reduce the environmental impact by minimizing emissions, minimizing noise pollution. You know, there's a recognition probably as well that EV tolls will help airline green credentials as they struggle to keep pace with emissions reductions. So we look at it from that angle. We also look at it from the e-commerce angle. I've already touched on that to an extent, but globally express freight is expected to grow at something like 4.7% per year in comparison to cargo traffic more broadly where we are tracking for growth in sort of 3, 3 3.1%. So as cars and trucks and delivery vans and what have you undergo a rapid transition away from fossil fuels, the next frontier for sustainable propulsion is aviation. Uh, I think that's clear. And that's why you've seen the likes of Amazon Prime getting their own FAA approvals for drone deliveries and really doubling down and capitalizing on the consumer's desire for instant gratification, whether that's with Prime, same day delivery, what have you. And I think tolls have the ability to take this one step further. You know, the shopping on demand experience is great in a metropolitan area, if that's what you want. But in addition, there's the possibility to bring some of the e-commerce benefits that the metropolitan areas currently enjoy to the, the more isolated rural areas, which that's obviously good for consumers. It's obviously good in terms of opening up new markets and there's potentially a wide supply chain efficiency as well, because those those final warehouses maybe become obsolete. And so you potentially have direct deliveries to consumers and all the benefits of saving on shipping costs and delivery times and the associated reduced emissions. So really e-commerce, logistics and and the environment as a whole are, are what we see as the key fulcrums.
0: I'd like to get your thoughts on, a, on two other topics that I think would be really interesting and certainly topics that I've not certainly heard or talked about in this industry as well and that's cybersecurity and legal issues. I know you also talk about the challenges to the industry such as regulation too but I didn't know whether you were able to talk a bit more about sort of the cybersecurity and the legal issues as well because very important topics not just for aviation but for eVTOLs and, and other sectors I don't know whether you are able to, to share your insight with our audience uh, and, and any sort of advice if, if there are companies that might be listening to this episode and not quite sure sort of where to go or who to turn to and stuff. I don't know whether you had any other thoughts or advice or insights that you could provide to them as well, please.
1: Yeah, of course. I think the first thing I'd say is the challenges are,
0: are broad. And look, I know it's a truism,
1: but sometimes you don't know what you don't know. But here's the thing. We, we also don't want to be shadow boxing, by which I mean, I could probably identify a thousand risks with every project if you want me to. But at some point, the role of the lawyer isn't just to spot the risks. That's that's the easy part. My my role, how I see my role really is about advising participants in the EV toll market about whether we can not just identify, but also quantify the risks. Can we mitigate the risks and can we help them reach a landing on on whether or not those risks are ones that they really want to run with. Because the whole AAM space is still hugely entrepreneurial, right? And I think how I see it is that entrepreneurs embrace risk, they embrace failure, it's sort of in their DNA. So the short answer is my advice would be come and have a conversation, you know, let's, let's do a zoom or, or, or a coffee or whatever, you know, let's talk it through. Because the, the advice I would give if you're already, let's say, a major market participant in this space, maybe a, a commercial airframe manufacturer, then the advice that you need is going to be very different to the guidance that a ten-person-strong outfit working on a prototype is going to need. And uh, look, it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be me, but find someone to talk to who understands the industry, and that there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. That being said, I think. You know just to touch sort of on a, on a few points of detail, it's important to remember in terms of the regulatory position, a, a self-flying aircraft is a new concept for everyone, including the regulators. And uh, I think there is perhaps a lack of recognition that the complexities and costs associated with certifying EV tolls are going to be really significant. I think that is underestimated. I think EASA have led. But they've also historically been more, let's say, more stringent regarding operations in urban environments. So it's it's no surprise then that they've taken a stricter view on EV tolls as well due to the expected operation um, in, in urban areas. So against that backdrop, I have to be honest, the hurdles of certification are going to be hugely underestimated by most market players. I think particularly, and this is this is where my work in commercial aviation gives me some interesting insights. Particularly because there's a real tension still following the ill-fated Boeing Max situation between FAA and EASA and and, and other aviation authorities. So certification by one is not necessarily going to mean global acceptance. I mean, you know, for example, there are there are significant differences in the certification requirements of EASA and the US FAA and so you may have a baseline FAA aircraft that is going to require some limitations or, or changes to fit in with the ASA certification. More broadly, and this, this could probably be the subject of a whole further podcast, but just to give a sense of some of the other uh, legal issues that you mentioned that we're tracking for around the, the topic, they, they really are myriad and include questions of uh, risk allocation and liability for damage and and how does that interrelate with the existing insurance markets and also with uh, mandatory liability regimes that already arise as a matter of law. We're spending quite a lot of time thinking about contractual arrangements with end users, so whether that's passengers or shippers, but also with other stakeholders in in the wider AAM ecosystem. You mentioned cyber security, we absolutely have to be thinking very carefully about cyber security and and about physical safety due to the uh, closer operating proximity with potentially malicious actors. So there is a significant amount of both legal and practical technological work required there. I think there's also the omnipresent consideration needed for uh, environmental law, including in relation to, to noise pollution. And then there are also the practical considerations that are going to be driven by the regulatory requirements. So the sort of thing we're thinking about there is, well, who is going to take on responsibility for inspections? You know, particularly where you have an unmanned EV toll, who will actually be responsible for inspecting it and with with what frequency? So a lot to think about and uh, a a lot to consider and not necessarily a, a uniform answer that can be given depending on the particular market participant that's asking the questions
0: question I'm sure everyone would be asking as well is the the report um, for those who have read it is really really brilliant so again credit to you and the rest of the Reed Smith team as well would the firm be looking to do more reports on the EV market in future
1: we'll certainly be sharing more yeah absolutely probably in bite-sized chunks rather than a uh, another big report in the near future so your listeners are all very welcome to connect and interact with me on on LinkedIn. Um, just look for Richard Hakes at Reed Smith and you'll find me and, and the team or, uh, or via our website as well. And we're very happy to keep this conversation going. But yes, we're here to share. We, we also have a blog, The Legal Flight Deck. We will uh, likely update that fairly frequently as well. And um, and as the market develops, we'll we'll keep sharing more.
0: Brilliant. Thanks ever so much, Richard. I really enjoyed our conversation. Really interesting to hear your thoughts and certainly from a different perspective from all the work that you've been doing at Reed Smith as well. I'd love to continue the conversation, so um, keep up the great work and very much look forward to keeping in touch and hearing more of these bite-sized reports you mentioned in the near future.
1: Thank you, Jason. Thanks so much for your time and uh, very happy to, uh, to pick the discussion up in due course
0: thanks so much for listening if you'd like to be featured in one of our podcasts or there's something you feel we should be talking about then please send me an email at editorial at evtolinsights.com we'll be back soon with another episode so look out for it on whichever podcast platform you use goodbye